But I have a lot to share with you guys tonight. We're starting a new series called Rediscover Church. So are you guys cool if I just jump in tonight? All right, let's just do it. Lord, we are so uh, grateful to be here in your presence. Um, God, we are grateful that uh, we are adopted brothers and sisters within your family. God, we are thankful that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God, we are thankful that we are the body of Christ together. Uh, God, I pray that you would be uh, wisdom to me, strength to me, power to me, Lord, as I share your word. Um, And God, I just pray for this community, God. I pray that they uh, would have peaceful hearts. God, I pray that the enemy uh, would just stop his scheming right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that any sin uh, that is still in our hearts left unconfessed, Lord, that we just confess that to you right now at this moment. Holy Spirit, we invite you to work, to move, to convict, to encourage, and to unite us closer together, um, but ultimately around Jesus. And we love you so much, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right, this last Friday, I go and get my hair cut. It's uh, about 11 o'clock. Uh, thank you. I know it looks really good. They cut it all off, which is what I do. Uh, so I came back from getting my hair cut to a crisis in our house. So I, I came back, I got my hair cut. This is literally this Friday, and I walk in, and there's water all over the downstairs of my house. And I was like... Crystal is really getting after cleaning the floors right now. And then I go a little closer, like Crystal's upstairs in a meeting for Orange Theory, a Zoom call they're doing every day. And literally, I literally, I walk in and I just hear, and I was like, what is that noise? And so literally I walk at the front of my house, there's literally water all over my downstairs. And I was like, what is happening? I open the bathroom door and literally the hose that plugs into my toilet completely broke and it's like high power just spraying everywhere. It's like, and I'm like freaking out. Like, I don't know if you guys know me, I don't know how to put a nail on a wall. And I'm like freaking out, like literally like water, like my feet are underwater in my own house. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but like, you're like, this is my house. There's water everywhere. We just put in these floors like three years ago. We're freaking out. I literally like, I open up my front door. Water is rushing out the front of my house onto the sidewalk. I look, it's all the way down the side of our living room. It's like, literally, I, like, I'm like panicking. I'm calling my dad. I'm like, dad, how do you shut off the water of the house? He's like, there's literally a knob right there. Turn the knob. So I turn off the knob. I'm like, dad, it's still going. Shut off the water of the house. How do I do that? I'm like running all over the house. I'm like, Chris, Crystal, Crystal, emergency. And she's like, she's calmer than I am. And I was like, thank the Lord. She's like, I made it my goal to be the calmest person in the room. Like, well, you won that. Uh, and thankfully, my daughter was asleep. Literally, the, so long story short, our house is completely damaged right now. There's, fa- there's fans everywhere in the house. Uh, there's dehumidifiers going. We have to like stay upstairs, thankfully, in our loft. They literally, if you go into like our house, there's like floor ripped up. Uh, baseboards are ripped out. They're taken out. Like literally our, our whole bottom of our house is destroyed. It was a complete crisis. One of the things that I learned about uh, in that moment is in crisis, uh, panic isn't necessary, but urgency is. And when I was thinking about this uh, message called Rediscover Church, uh, I just want you guys to know as we start this series, uh, we are in the middle of a crisis in the Christian faith in America. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you've been paying attention to statistics or the state of the church in the United States, but you are literally uh, living in the middle of a church crisis. And the purpose isn't to, to panic by that, but there is. You guys know this. When there's crisis, there needs to be a, an urgency that matches the level of the issue. Does that make sense? And in this moment in America, we need urgency for the church. I don't know if you guys know this, but since COVID, um, every single, so since COVID, 
Out of everybody that was going to church, only one-third of people have gone back to church. So in the last three years, one-third of people attending church have completely abandoned going to church. Uh, if you look on, uh, like, kind of statistics, they say about, we're opening about 3,000 new churches every year in America, and you're like, that's amazing, 3,000 churches? You're like, how many did we close down? 4,500. So more churches are closing in the United States than we are opening. Uh, specifically with young adults, it seems to be like this problem, this church crisis that is out there is like kind of rampant all over culture, but it's specifically bad with young adults. I came across, uh, came across one study on Lifeway, and it said that 70%, guys, not 20%, 70% of young adults between the ages of 18 to 22 who had attended church regularly for at least a year have completely stopped attending church. So in our country, 70% of young adults, many of your guys' age, maybe you're exactly in the age gap, have completely stopped attending church. And I'm just going to say this from my own pastoral experience. Um, <clears throat> rediscovering church is something that's absolutely necessary. I feel like with this age demographic, there's a skepticism towards the church that like, I've never seen before. Like, there's just, like, a skepticism. Like, you don't, like, you don't trust authority, don't trust leadership, don't trust people, that's a thing. Uh, there's a lot of just frustration with the church. Maybe that's you, you're, you're in the room and you're just like, I'm just frustrated with the church in general. And maybe it's not even like specific people, it's just like the church, you know, like that's kind of a common thing. But then for others of you, it's actually specific people. The, the church, there's names and faces and you're frustrated by that. And I know many of you in this room, uh, if you're going to be honest, you're, you're hurt. You're hurt by the church. And this, this, this crisis, all this stuff going on, the, the hurt, the skepticism, the frustration, it's led to what I would call, or I, I read, I thought it was really clever, a churchless Christianity. That there's this idea where you can divorce personal faith and organized religion. Like that's actually never been a category really before until this cultural moment, especially since 2020, where there's like this churchless Christianity. Like people are Christians, but they're like leaving church to the side. Uh, and there's questions like this, you know, like Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am among them. And so I have, man, over the years, guys, I can't even tell you all the stories and conversations I've had. I've heard people say like, why can't I just do church at Mythical Coffee? Like, why can't I take two or three of my friends, read the Bible, do the one another's, pray for one another, do all the things that I see in the scripture? Like, what, like, why can't I just do that? I've heard the, the house church movement is kind of like this subtle thing with young adults. They're like the institutional church is like bad but we're going to create something a lot better called the house church movement. Francis Chan, kind of, you know, you guys know that, you know, big kind of celebrity pastor for lack of better words, although he would like vomit if he heard him saying that, heard me saying that, but like this house church movement, like step away kind of from the institutional church. Let's, let's do something else. It's just a rampant problem. So then you just go, okay, Christians, church is Christianity. Like that's a thing out in the world. Uh, but it's fascinating. This isn't just affecting how people relate to church, but it's actually affecting how people are relating to faith. Uh, a Barna study in 2023, guys, this isn't like 5, 10, 15 years ago. This is literally this year. Um, the, they did like this study and they said the top 10 reasons U.S. adults are doubting faith. So the top 10 reasons U.S. adults are doubting faith. Now, when I read that headline, I was like, oh, this is easy. It's going to be like science in the Bible. It's going to be like suffering, unanswered prayer, like all the things that I feel like I experience. And then I go, the top three reasons on the list for people doubting their faith are number one, past experiences with a religious institution. It's like I just had a bad past experience or multiple. Uh, number two, here we go, the, the hypocrisy of religious people. 
It's like, that's just an issue. Number three, the negative reputation of the church. Think about that. The top three reasons people are doubting their faith in America is the church. Uh, The Barna study summarized it this way. It said this. Next slide. There we go. Thank you. What reasons do U.S. adults give for doubting the Christian faith? Over one quarter say their cause for doubt comes from past experiences with a religious institution. For those with some distance from Christianity or the church, the hypocrisy of religious people is the top driver of doubt. And our data shows that those who are reluctant to affiliate with a church say Christians seem closed and judgmental. Or that they often value being right in their beliefs over and above helping others make their own faith discoveries. It's pretty sad, isn't it? Whether that's true, that's what the world is saying. Uh, so why, why would we need to rediscover church? I think if you are sitting in the room, I think there are five reasons. There could be more, but I think one of these reasons will resonate with you. But I think there are five reasons we need to rediscover church is one, uh, the world just needs it. Literally what I just said. People in our country are doubting their faith and the world needs Christians to rediscover what they're actually about. Uh, the Christians are, this is what I hear, like, okay, like, here's the thing. Your unbelieving neighbors may not know a, a lot about Jesus, but they know enough to what you're supposed to be. So they're reading their Bibles, and they go, I'm reading the Bible, you know, okay, like, I read my Bible, I'm reading what Jesus says, and I'm looking at the church, and that's not the same. The world needs it. The, the second reason I would say is, uh, is hurt. And I already said this, but many of you are hurt. Here's the thing. It's, uh, the church is supposed to be a place that heals. But oftentimes in experience, it hurts more than it heals. How many of you had that experience? You get saved or radically saved. And you're like, this is the place I'm experiencing healing. My, my faith is being transformed. And then all of a sudden, like, I'm actually starting to like, experience hurt more than I'm actually starting to experience healing. The church is the place where I have the most stress, not the least stress. Maybe it's because of your small group. Maybe it's because you're on staff at a church and it went wrong. Or well, There's all sorts of different reasons. And here's the thing. In my experience, it's not if you get hurt by the church, it's when you get hurt by the church. It's a ticking time bomb before at some point or at some level you get hurt. Uh, I was uh, at, I feel like I always use Planet Fitness illustrations, but I was at the gym the other night uh, trying to hit my twice a week rhythm. And, uh, and God blessed me in a strange way. I forgot my AirPods at work. And so I had to like sit with my own thoughts while doing a workout, which is horrible. You know, you're like, Andrew, it was leg day. So I was like, oh, this is terrible. Uh, but, it was, it, but it ended up being one of the most incredible times for me. I was at the gym. I came home and Crystal's like, how you doing? I was like, honestly, I was like, I'm like really sad because I'm doing leg day. No, I was like, I, I, I was out at the gym and all of a sudden I just found myself getting depressed. I was sad and I was like, what the heck is going on? And I came home and I'm trying to do this like three month journal challenge where I like journal every day about my feelings to get in touch, you know, so I can better connect with my wife, uh, right? A little bit. Uh, and uh, what did, this is what I realized as I was journaling, I just started realizing at the gym all the friends that I've lost at this place. And I just started like, I literally was like, it wasn't like two or three, it was like, above 10. And like the, I was like sad and I was mourning that. And then I reflect on my experience here. I'm like, I've never, like, I have never encountered Jesus in my life more than at this church. And I'm telling you, my deepest hurts in my life come from this church. There's just something about family, church that hurts. 
Maybe that's you. Uh, thirdly, uh, maybe your faith is broken. Uh, and that's the, some of these things overlap. But here's the thing. One of the things that I've realized, typically a crisis in the church always leads to a crisis of faith. Isn't that interesting? It's like, a, 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 like problems in the church end up leading to problems in faith. It's weird. So like when people start to deconstruct or have bad experiences with church, they start to deconstruct their faith. It's a, it's a, I don't think it has to be that way, but I also think it has to be that way because there's something so special at the church, it's not supposed to see that. So typically when we rediscover church, it's not just about rediscovering a theology of the church. It's actually about rediscovering faith in Jesus again. So maybe your faith is broken and you're trying to pick up the broken pieces back together. Uh, fourth, uh, this is a very common one. Maybe you just lost your heart for the church. Uh, I remember when I was in college, when God was like radically transforming my life, the age of many of you sitting in the middle right here, I was 18, uh, commuting down from GCU, and I remember I would like, sermon would finish Sunday, and then like Monday would roll around, I'm like, I cannot wait for Sunday. And like all week, I'm like anticipating coming to church, hearing God's word. I was like, I was so hungry. And I'm just gonna become, like honestly, I can come to church now and just be like, don't really like this sermon. Doesn't really, you know, like whatever that is, like you just lost your heart. I kind of think like getting back into church is trying, it's like kind of like getting back into the gym. It's just like, it just, it just takes a minute, you know, but like maybe you just lost your heart and like there needs to be a revival of your heart towards God's people and God's church. Last thing, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, uh, but some of us, uh, maybe we just have a poor theology of the church. And here's what I mean by that. How you think about the church, think about this for a second, how you think about the church might not be how Jesus thinks about the church. The things that you hold as most important about the church when you're going to looking for a place are actually not on Jesus' priority list. And there's a poor theology, and in my experience, here's why I think this matters. A poor theology will eventually come to bite you. Because when things really get hard, you're going to need something to stand on that's bigger than, I just want to hang out with friends and have a good message. And the last thing that I would say is maybe it's not a poor theology. Maybe you have a great theology about the church. Maybe you know the church is a family, the body. You believe all that, but you just don't treat it that way. So there's an aligning that needs to happen. All right, and here's the, here's the big question. Uh, this, is, this is my intro, and we're going to jump in. I think the big question tonight is, can a churchless Christianity fit with what the New Testament teaches about church? Or maybe a bigger question, can you obey Jesus and neglect the church? Or can you obey Jesus and follow Jesus and just choose not to work through hurt? And that's what I want to talk about tonight. If I were to use an image, um, and this is where we're going to go in the series, I think this series is going to be a little bit like a surgery. Uh, the first thing that you do in a surgery is like you cut, cut the patient open or you cut the, the spot open and that's painful. And I think I kind of picture like this is maybe like tonight's message. It's like I'm going to poke at you at the like tender spot and like I'm going to challenge you a little bit and maybe confront you a little bit in love, but it's going to be painful. And then next week, because when a pastor talks about church hurt, it's like, well, you're the pastor. You're supposed to say that. Next week, I'm going to get out of the way and I'm going to let somebody who has quote unquote no skin in the game. Uh, one of my mentors, Matt Redder, he's going to come in. He's been a lead pastor. He's been a college pastor. He's hurt people as a pastor and he's been hurt by the church and he's going to talk about church hurt directly. And then the last week, we're going to like bandage you up and give you a recovery plan. And here's what I'll say. Some of you may not be in a place where like, the church is great, I love it, I have no issues. At some point, you're going to need this series, and maybe you'll look back on this series. Some of you need it right now. Does that make sense? Okay, let's jump in. Uh, well, before we uh, kind of get going, let me, just, let, let me just stop and pause and just say, like, what is the church? 
Like, it's just a language. It's like, it's thrown around all the time. It's like, well, like, what actually is the church if we're going to define it? Uh, so let's just start uh, with a word study, what the word church actually means. If I were to summarize, the church is, is Christ's called out community. Uh, the word in the Greek is ecclesia. I'm going to go somewhere with this. Hang in, all right? I also want to preface the rest of the sermon might be a little bit more of a class lecture, but I want you guys to dig in and, and I'm going to apply it to your lives. I promise. Okay. So the church is, uh, the word is ecclesia. So if you, that word, it just like, it, it means like it's a, a called out community. If you take the first word ek and the second word kletos, those are two Greek words. And if you combined it, it means called out. So the whole, from the beginning, when Jesus talks about the church and when the New Testament talks about the church, it's referring specifically to a called out community. So it's not a building, it's a community that's been called out of darkness, called out of the world into the light as a member of Christ's body. Now listen, this isn't just like, hey, what did the New Testament writers, or what did the early Christians decide? Like, hey, what should we call God's people? Let's call it the church. It wasn't like that. This actually is, uh, in Roman context, there was an ecclesia. Uh, so uh, in Roman context, an ecclesia, uh, there was a church. That was, a, that was a, a word that was used in that time. And the whole idea is, uh, there was this called out community in Rome. Uh, they were like a gathering of Roman citizens in a city. So like, the ecclesia in the Roman context would be like these uh, people, these citizens that would gather in the city and they would discuss politics, uh, topics, policies. And so in Jesus' day, if you heard church, you're like, okay, the Roman has an, a church. They have an ecclesia, a called out community to discuss politics. And then the church is Christ's called out community. So you have Caesar's called out community, and they said, Caesar is Lord. And then you have Jesus' called out community submitting to Jesus. Uh, secondly, the church is a, a renewed Israel. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but it's interesting. Uh, Jesus picks uh, 12 disciples. And that wasn't like, hey, how, you know, wasn't talking to his father, like, hey, how many do you want to choose? It's like 12. No, Jesus was doing something very intentional. There's 12 tribes of Israel, and Jesus was specifically picking 12 people to be representatives of like this kind of renewal of Israel. So the church is like a renewed Israel. It's actually interesting. In Galatians 6.16, Paul calls the New Testament Christians the Israel of God. So the church is like this renewed Israel. Uh, one of the things that I also uh, felt was uh, just very interesting is think about this. As much as we talk about the church, Jesus only talked about the church twice. Now, he talked about the people of God more than that, but he actually only used that word twice. Once is in Matthew 16, the other is in Matthew 18. I'm only going to talk about one of those tonight. But in Matthew 16, 18, this is what Jesus says. He says this to Peter. To Peter. Uh, in context, uh, Peter uh, is like, Jesus is like, who do others say that I am? And then Jesus is like, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus responds to that and says this, I, and I tell you that you are Peter. Peter's like, thank you that you are telling me I am Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades or death will not overcome it. Uh, it's interesting here that when Jesus talks about the church, Jesus summarizes his whole mission as church building. Jesus' whole mission, everything that he came to do is to build his church. Uh, I remember one of, my, one of the founding moments that made me realize that this topic um, was necessary for young adults. I remember I was, uh, I think I just started leading this ministry. Maybe I wasn't pastoring it by myself yet, but I was uh, on a team. And I remember I had a, a young adult in the community. Uh, this was like, this sticks in my head like crazy. Uh, I remember he looked at me one night. Uh, we were like playing like Catan or something like that, which I think I was watching because I can't stand that game. 
And uh, I was sitting there, and, he, and he, uh, he looked at me, and he goes, Corey, you're the only reason that I am still part of the church. He's like, Corey, you are literally the only reason I am still part of the church. And I remember that moment, I was like, man, I felt so honored by that. I felt so special, and I was like, wow. And then I go and talk to, like, my mentor, and I was like, dude, you won't, you won't, you won't realize this experience. I was talking to this young adult, like, he's really church hurt. He's like, the hypocrisy of the church is, like, something that he really wrestles with. And he said that I was the only reason that he's still part of the church. And I remember this to this day. I was expecting, like, good for you, Corey. That's amazing. You know, and, he, and my mentor looked at me and goes, what a shame. And he wasn't saying, like, for him. He was saying to me. And he, and he goes, you've made him. He's made you. And you've let him make you the reason for being a part of this thing. He goes, what a shame. And he's like, the first time I was like, you, like, you failed as a leader. And I was like, oh. I was like, that's not what you're supposed to say. But it stung. But, but I realized, I was like, okay, if Jesus is building his church, and notice Jesus says, I will build my church. And so I think the question is, well, what, what, what church, what, what is Jesus building? Let's look at, there's, I think there's three images that I want to talk about when Jesus talks about the church that I think are really, like, helpful. And some of these, you've heard these before, but I want to bring it about in maybe a fresh way. Um, the first thing, Jesus talks about the church, or the New Testament talks about the church being a temple. Uh, look at 1 Peter 2, 4 through, th- 4 through 5. It says this. Peter says this. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. A pause. Think in the Old Testament, the people of God had a temple in Jerusalem. That was where the presence of God dwelt. Uh, it was on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. Like the, like the nations would come to this temple. And it says, he was rejected uh, by the people, but he was chosen by God for great honor, referring to Jesus. And he says this, and you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. So Peter says, listen, in the Old Testament, there was the temple, like the nations, there's this picture of the nations coming, but he's saying that with the resurrection and what Christ has done and the good news of the kingdom is like now the temple is a people and all these people, multi-ethnic people, multicultural, like this is the presence of God. This is the place where God dwells, is this, this people that have been redeemed out of darkness. Uh, and what I, what I love about this, I love what Peter says. He says, and you are living stones. This idea that each person is a specific stone within that temple. It reminded me, uh, so last year on a Wednesday, uh, I had the opportunity of going down to a monastery in Florence. Uh, so that's what pastors do on Wednesdays, apparently. No, I had, I had the night off and I went down to a monastery. And uh, this was one of the chapels that were there. Uh, and it was really beautiful. You go there, and it's like, it's like you, like, reverse time by, like, 500 years. You're like, I didn't know people wore these things still. But anyway, so, like, there's, like, monks, and it's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful, like, experience. So I went there, and I remember that they were showing this one chapel. You can see there's, like, kind of these stones there. And I remember, like, kind of going, oh, this is really beautiful. I went to Europe, like, last May. It's nothing like anything in Europe. But for here, in Florence, this is amazing. Uh, but I remember being really fascinated by this specific chapel uh, because uh, when I was learning a little bit about the history, they said that each specific stone, every single piece of this temple was brought over from Europe and rebuilt here in Arizona. And it was like they weren't trying to, like, make a model. Like, they were like, this chapel is so sacred that we literally have to take every single stone and rebuild it in this place. Every single stone mattered. And I think that's a beautiful image of what Peter's trying to get at when he's saying, you're a living stone. He's like, listen, God is building his temple. It's beautiful. And, and you literally, like, you are one of those living stones. You are so precious. 
You are, you are a piece in God's temple. You are being built, and it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, one of the things that I also thought was fascinating when you talk about the temple in the New Testament, when I talk to most believers or Christians, it's like, and you're the temple of Christ, and you're the temple of Christ, and you're like, it's like all individualized. It's like, and you're the temple. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Amen. Yes, that is true. Absolutely. But here's something that's absolutely fascinating. Did you know in the New Testament, only twice, and maybe only once, is the temple ever referred to as a single person? Everywhere else in the New Testament, the temple is a community of people where Christ says that his precious presence dwells specifically. Something that I think in our, uh, in our context is um, uh, people in our American individualized context, it's like, okay, it's like, I want to experience Jesus. I want to experience him in a special way. So you like go in your room, close the door, and like you read your Bible. And it's absolutely beautiful. But Christ... Pr- Christ promised to be like in his temple as the people in a way that he doesn't show up personally. So I always get nervous when people are like, hey, I'm going to like remove myself. Like I'm all about Jesus, but like I'm going to like remove myself. Like you're actually missing out on a part of Jesus that you won't get unless you're his gathered temple. The second image that I think is helpful when, uh, when the New Testament talks about uh, the, the, the church is that it's a, it's a body. And many of you have heard this before, but hang in. Romans 12, 4 through 5, it says this, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. Uh, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Now listen, this isn't like, when Paul's writing this letter, he's not going like, hey, what's a really good illustration to talk about the church? Oh, the human body's kind of like that. There's actually something deeper going on. Uh, for Paul, he uses the word body to talk about this like human. And what Paul is trying to get at is, uh, he's saying like, when Christ has redeemed his church, it's not just a community of people, but it's a new humanity. So he uses this language, like this new humanity, us as the body of Christ, we are one new human. Like you're a hand, I'm a foot, so-and-so is a mouth, so-and-so is an arm, so-and-so is a shoulder. We're all one body. We're a new humanity that shows, that's supposed to show the ways of Christ uh, to the world. And he's, I love what he says. He goes, we're not just a body, but we're specifically Christ's body. Uh, we're one body and that we belong to each other. Uh, I remember uh, when, so when I first got married, I did a half marathon in Colorado called the Slacker which I was like, why would you ever call a half marathon a slacker? Like, it did not feel like I was slacking. Uh, but it, the reason they call it a slacker is because uh, you, like, you're in the middle of the mountains, but it's downhill the whole time, which is like amazing. So you're like, literally, got, you get your momentum going. It was beautiful. It snowed overnight, uh, like there, like, which means that when I woke up in the morning, it was like bright and sunny, like 40, 50 degrees, like there was like snow on, it was like the most beautiful view I've ever seen. And I remember I was running, and uh, Chris was going to laugh at this, but I was running and I like separated from the pack. I was like, I'm going to do this. You know, so I was running and I remember I got bubble gut, like, I know, Kendrick knows, literally like halfway through this run. And I was running, I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, and there's no porta potties anywhere. And there's like thousands of people. And I'm running, I was like, I'm literally like in any second, I'm going to have to pull off, like, I'm going to have to pull off and be like, hey, everybody, sorry. This is how it is, you know? But literally, my stomach was so upset. It like shut me down. And literally, I rounded a corner. And I was like, I was literally praying to God. I'm like, God, if you love me, send a porta potty. <laughs> and so I like, I turned the corner. And also, there's a porta potty. And like, I literally stopped, whatever. 
took off my time, which I was really disappointed. But anyways, I finished the race. It was amazing. Like one of the things, I, like it was just a great, so we finished the race. I was like, Crystal, you won't know what happened. And then literally the next day, uh, I apparently I wore running shoes that were like two or three years old. They were like my gardening shoes from like high school. Uh, and I ran a half marathon in them. And literally the next day, I could not walk. I did this vacation. I'm like with my wife in Colorado. It's sunny. We're going to bike ride, walk. It's an amazing. And I literally have to sit on the couch. I was like, what the heck is wrong with me? I, like the side of my foot is absolutely killing me. And so I go to like Crystal's like, like you know, special person that's going to like be able to like fix this whole thing, like chiropractor. Like I was like super like not into it. And he's like, yeah, you have a lateral cuboid. I was like, first of all, what's a cuboid? And how's it? Like I was like, there's this bone, this small bone in my body that just went ink from running. And it literally shut down the whole of my body. And as silly as that is, and all that things, there's something about the body of Christ where we go, yes, I'm a body, I get it, you know, so-and-so, we all have different gifts. But when, when Paul's using this imagery, what he wants you to understand is like, listen, each part in and of itself has tremendous power. My little cuboid bone in my foot shut down my whole body because that little thing was off. And when that thing is in its place, everything runs smoothly. And what Paul is saying, listen, you have a role in the body of Christ. You are supposed to be a part of it. You belong to one another. And when you remove yourself from being a part of the body, whether that's like you completely disconnect from the church or you just go, I'm just going to attend, consume a sermon, and then go on and say, thanks, that was a great sermon. Uh, he's saying like when you're, not giving, when you're not using your role, when you're not using your spiritual gift, whatever that is, he's like, you have the power to cripple the body of Christ. Or you have the power to make it function at the level it was intended to do. So I think one of the, um, the questions, and one of the things that I think this challenges is individualism in our hearts. And I would say individualism, we've all heard that word, but it's, it's an I before you. It's a me before them. Me above them. Like, like if I'm not doing well, then like peace out everybody. Um, there's, a, there's a quote from a commentary that I thought was really helpful when it was talking about this, referring to the body of Christ. It says this, Today the problem is our individualism, which I would define as hyper-personalized religion. It is the religion of Jesus and me only, just like me and Jesus. It is what sociologists uncover when they explore America's religious attitudes and practices. It's the way we feel, it's our attitudes, it's how we actually live America has been infected with a virus called radical individualism. It affects every area of life. People make up their own rules for everything entirely apart from other people. Have you ever noticed, you like talk to somebody, it's like, they just like went on this whole journey. It's like, hey, I've been praying, I've talked to nobody, and this is the decision I've arrived at. I'm like, hey, did you ask your community? No, I just me and God. That's kind of what it's getting at here. So people make up their own rules for everything entirely apart from other people. And he says this, you cannot have one body in Christ if everyone's creating a private little a la carte religion for himself. Isn't that powerful? Here's one of the questions I want to ask you. What is your vital role in God's local body? The body of Christ is global. It's nationwide. Guys, I'm telling you, you have a vital role in your local body. Now, maybe you don't know what that is. Maybe, uh, maybe the way that your church is structured, it doesn't allow for that. But like one of the, I'm going to get to something later, but one of the things I want to challenge you is like, if you are not at, connected to your local church in a deep way, and if you are not serving, there's something better for you. 
And not only that, there's not something better for you, but there's something better for your church because they need you. You understand what I'm saying? All right, let's move on. The last thing is, uh, the last image that I would say is, a, uh, Paul says the church is a family. Ephesians 2.19. So now you are gentle, uh, <laughs> you're gentles. No, you are Gentiles. Uh, are, are, no, okay, are no longer strangers and foreigners. So he's saying like you Gentiles, that word literally means nations. You can translate that. You nations, you weren't a part of the people of God. You weren't a part of Israel, but now you are. Uh, you are citizens of God's kingdom. You are the Israel of God. You are along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Here's the thing, guys, I'm telling you, it does not matter if you have a theology that the church is a family. The question is, do you treat it as a family? Now, let me just get really transparent. And this, I'm going to share something that I struggle with, with this ministry, that I just want to be really honest with you about, okay? All right, jump in my shoes. This isn't so you feel bad, but I want, I'm trying to create a point. So I go and talk to Mr. or Mrs. 28-year-old. Hey, how you doing in 710? Oh, good. Just one issue. I'm like, what is that? The ministry's too young. It's like, yeah, I know there are people in their early 20s here. There's also other people who are 28. And it's like, okay, I talked to the person who's 19. Hey, tell me what's hard about this ministry. The ministry's too old. And I'm just like, I was like, Lord, I was like, half the room says the ministry's too young. Half the room says the ministry's too old. I was like, I literally don't know what about to do this. Or I talk to people, I'm like, oh, I just like don't click with those people. I just like, I'm just, I don't, I don't click uh, it's just like, they, they're just like, I don't vibe with them, you know, whatever they, whatever we say nowadays, it's like, I just don't click. And then like, people just like kind of ghost out. And here's the thing. One of the, th the thing that makes 710, the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful communities and the most like challenging communities is I, I, we're literally one of the only young adults ministries that is like ages 18 to 30. Every other ministry that I know of is like college ministry, 18 to 26. And then like, like, you know, the single, like, late 20s or even married late 20s, like, they go do something else. And all of a sudden, in this community, I was like, I was like, I love this so much because we have one of the most, like, beautiful, diverse, eclectic communities that I've ever seen. I was like, we have people in their, like, late 20s, early 30s. We have, like, 19-year-olds. We have people that are married. We have people that are, like, single. We have people that are, like, we have West Mesa, which is a Hispanic, like, culture, like, completely different type of community. Like, we have people who are, like, cool in the world's eyes, and we have people that are not cool in the world's eyes. Like, all of these people are together. And it's, like, absolutely beautiful until we try until we start trying to treat it like a friend group. And I'm like, why are we treating the family of God like a friend group when it's a family? And I was like, one of the things that's so powerful about this is like, listen, I look at you on the room, like you guys should not be in the same room together. You shouldn't. But there's something about Jesus that is our center that unites us together. And then we come and we like, we want friendship. Now listen, I'm not against friendship or anything like that. But here's what I want to know what I want you to know. When Jesus picked 12 disciples to be, a, to be the start of his new family, you know how he started? He, he's like, this wasn't Jesus the night before. So Jesus, the night before he picked his disciples, he's praying all night. This is what I don't think the conversation went. It's like, hey, Lord, who's going to fit? Who's, who's going to vibe with each other? Who's, uh, who's going to, like, do you think they'll get along? This is what Jesus does. He, he scraps that and he goes, Who's going to hate each other? Let's start there. He goes, who's not going to fit? Who's, who's actually starts as enemies? And that's where I want to start my family. I love it. He picks a tax collector. 
and a zealot. Zealots killed tax collectors. That's not like, hey, I have, I have beef with them. I just don't know. Like, they killed each other. And Jesus is like, all right, great, day one, I'm, this new movement. It's like, all right, Matthew. And so like, all right, one family. Here's the point I'm trying to make. When you come to church and you don't fit with the people that you see, that's a great starting place. Because we should be looking for family, not fit. And then when you start, here's what I realized. And when you start to treat people like family, and specifically like brothers and sisters in Christ, your family starts to fit. But you start from a different place. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, There's this beautiful uh, quote, and I think it gets to the point uh, out of this book, Rediscover Church, that I'm kind of basing the series off. It says this, God does not invite us to church because it's a comfortable place to find a bit of spiritual encouragement. No, he invites us into a spiritual family, I love this, of misfits and outcasts. He welcomes us into a home that's rarely what we want. I love this. Yet just what we need. Here's what, when you come to church, it'll, if you're doing it right, maybe, it might not be what you want, but it's just what you need. All right, let's, let's move on. This is where I think the, the whole conversation shifts. Uh, because when I hear, uh, when I think about the church, oftentimes when I talk about the church, uh, when I hear people talking about the church, we, we talk about the church as if it like it exists for me. You know, it's like, well, I'm not getting this out of it. I'm not, like, I don't, these people don't, you know, it's like there's like a me thing. But there's also like a communal like dynamic where it's like we talk about the church as if it like exists for itself. It's like, how's this church, you know, how's our church doing? Do we have this, that, that? But it's interesting when all, when, when you look in the New Testament, all throughout the scriptures, the Old Testament story, Israel, the church, the people of God, the early church, the church was always a community that existed for others. Now, guys, here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to take you through some, like, theology for a second. Hang in, because I'm going to make a point that I really want to push on. The church has always been a community that exists for others, for the world. It's interesting. When God's, like, talking with Israel in the New Testament, it's like he has his eye on the, like, he's talking to Israel, but then he's got his eye on the nations the whole time. So he's like, hey, you guys aren't behaving in this way, like you're committing idolatry. And the reason he gets upset is because the nations have a distorted picture of what real life is supposed to look like. God's reputation is being ruined in the Old Testament through his people, and that's why he's concerned because he's trying to, his people are the people that he loves, that he's set his affections on, but these are the people that he's using for everybody else. So he's looking at the church, he's talking to them, but then he's got his eye on the nations. And here's a, here's a, there's a book called The True Story of the World, uh, and this is, like, just hang with me here. I'm going to go somewhere with this. This is, what, this is what Michael Goheen says about the church. This was actually my seminary professor. For, it, nobody cares, but here we go. Uh, listen, th- this is the church, a people who live in a new world with a new identity and a new relationship to God. Believers are to, f- are to bid farewell to the way of life that was shaped by their experience of this present age and embrace a new way of life as part of the age to come. What he's saying there is like the old age is like the age of like sin, death, injustice, selfishness. And when Christ raised from the dead, literally a new age, a new world gave, like literally gave birth. It was the start of something new. And believers are called to live in the present 
how the future will be. Like, they're like this movie preview to the world of what the future will be. So that's what he's getting at. He goes, the witness of the church spills over into public life, demonstrated the comprehensive scope of salvation in the age to come. Essentially, all of life will be redeemed. So we demonstrate a life that shows that all of life will be redeemed in sex, in money, in power, in relationships, in all these things. He says, Paul calls the church to become involved in the public life of their nation and to seek its welfare by being visible and involved in the life of the surrounding culture while avoiding its pollution and pervasive idolatry. Christians will shine. So he's saying like, Christians, your, your, your witness needs to be out in the world. You reject the pollution and idolatry of this world and you embrace the life of Christ and you shine there. And then he says this, you will shine like stars in a warped and crooked generation. Hang on, I promise we're going somewhere. Next slide. Israel in the Old Testament was called to be a light to the nations. When she failed, it was Jesus who picked up that mission, accomplishing the salvation of the world. He then commissioned the church to continue his mission, and the early church began to do so. All three parts of this story are significant for us, for we are now called to continue in the mission of Israel in the mission of Jesus, in the mission of the early church. So here's what, here's what he's saying. He's, listen, we aren't just a temple. We aren't just a body. We aren't just a family. We are a temple that exists for the world. We are a body that exists for the world. We are a family that exists for the world. And one of the things that I just want to lovingly poke at is, listen, if your Christianity is not a for-the-world Christianity, it's not a Jesus Christianity. If your Christianity is like, hey, how, how's my quiet times doing? How's my church attendance? Did I like that song? Was the sermon good? It's like, are my friends good here? It's like me, me, us, us, us. And Jesus goes like, this is a for the world thing. It's not just an us thing. Now I'm going to pause and I'm going to poke at something that I haven't poked at before this explicitly. You guys love me? Yes. Thank you. I wanted to hear that before I told you this. Okay. One of the th- things that I have seen in young adults, give me grace, <clears throat> is what I would call bloated Christianity. I'm not body shaming here. I'm really not. <laughs> Crystal's like, you're showing that picture? I was like, yes, because it's going to communicate a point. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> One of the things that I have noticed is bloated Christianity. You guys know this? Where, like, you overeat, you eat too much, and you're like, what did I just do? The other night I had pizza in Ben and Jerry's, which always gets me, and I woke up, and I was like, this is, this is terrible. Like, that was me. Um, <clears throat> but here's what I see, and I especially, like, I especially see it in this age group, and there's all sorts of reasons for it, and it's nuanced, and there's all sorts, like, just, all right, here we go. I'm going for it. <laughs> this is what it is. You ready? Blow to Christianity. I go to church on Sunday at this church. Sunday night I go to that church. Monday night is rest night which is just like recover for myself. Tuesday night, I go to 710. Wednesday night, I go to that church's discipleship thing. Thursday night, I go to that church's thing. Friday night, I might go to that church thing, but my friends are going there. It, like literally, it's like this, like I, I think about it as like, like as Christians, like we're overeating. It's like we're bloated. It's like we fill our schedules with church things all the time. It's like church, church, their church, 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 church. And this is what happens. There's a couple of reasons this is a problem. We're attending everywhere, but we're committed nowhere. We're, we're attending everywhere, but we're committed nowhere. And you think you can do it and be committed. And maybe when you're like single and young, you have a little bit more flexibility. But when you actually like have to get like a job and like, like actually like, like you have, like you can't do it. 
And I just want to be loving and gracious and kind. And I just want to say something to this. I think sometimes Jesus goes, listen, I redeemed you out of the world. I chose you out of the world, not so you could have a friend group and church hop all over the place. I redeemed you out of the world to be a part of a family, to equip each other, to encourage each other, to build each other up with spiritual gifts. And then I send you out into the world on mission. I've, I've, I'm, I'm telling you guys, like as a pastor who has church things all the time, Crystal can attest to this. I go home, one of my biggest wrestles is, I'm like, I literally say, I'm like, Crystal, Tuesday night, 710, Thursday night, small group. That, like, church people there, I'm like, I have no space to have dinner with my neighbors anymore. I was like, like, I wrestle with it, and like, yes, I have a specific calling. My job from the Bible is to equip the saints for your work of ministry out in the world, and I just want to go, guys, hear me. If we, are, if we are attending everywhere and committed nowhere, there's two reasons for that. One, we're not engaging with the world. But two, one of the things that I really like think about this is like, how can you have a vibrant community when nobody's committed and everybody's consuming and attending? You guys get where I'm getting at? I love you. I'm not, I'm not going to be like, hey, I, I heard you were, you know. I want you to know this. I, have, I, I, I mean this with all sincerity. I have, I want to say I have no skin in the game in this. But I, re- I have sent people away from this ministry. They're like attending, want to serve. I'm like, hey, stop coming. Not because I love you. I absolutely love you. I'm like, you're, you're here, you're there, you're here, and you're robbing your church of, you being here robs your church of your spiritual gift. In, in love, go back to your church with my blessing. Love them. When you're free, come visit. I love it, but go bless your church and join them in that mission. And I just want to challenge you. Just think about it. Consider it. Are you, are you living a bloated Christianity? Are you committed to one place using your gift? Or are you just consuming? You guys still like me? No. It's not the reason I'm doing this. But, all right, here we go. <clears throat> Do you guys get what I'm getting at? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. We're almost done. Here's the question I would give you. Is your vision for the church... Jesus' vision for the church. All right, I'm going to close with this one last image, and this is where um, my last poke, okay? Uh, Jesus calls the church, Paul calls the church the bride of Christ. In the New Testament, or the Revelation, it's this end picture. The end of the Bible is like a marriage ceremony. It's It's the bride of Christ coming to meet the groom, and there's this beautiful union of heaven and earth, of Christ and his people. It's absolutely beautiful. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 says this, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. That's in every wedding ceremony I've ever heard. Uh, And then he says this, and he gave up his life for her. So think about this. Guys, we need to take this seriously. It showed Jesus' heart for the church. Put on fresh eyes. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. And then I love this, Ephesians 5.29. Guys, look at these words. For no one has ever hated his own body, but nourishes it and cherishes it as Christ does the church. Have you ever thought about this? That Christ wants to nourish you and cherish you? Like that's his heart for you? Have you ever thought that Christ wants to nourish and cherish his bride, his community? It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, okay, so Jesus, bride of Christ. Uh, when, I, when I read this, I was like, my wife, my bride. 
Crystal's here tonight. I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. All right, I want to show you this. Uh, okay, so Harley, do you have the picture? I don't have social media. And I'm going to show you bad pictures. Wasn't able to Photoshop. All my eyes are closed. When I smile, I cannot keep my eyes open. It's literally the most annoying thing. Okay, so this is just a random photo to you, but this is special to me, okay? Uh, that is the night I was set up with my wife. And guys, guess what? Harley in the back took the photo. She was the only person here that I think saw that. So, all right, here's a funny story. So uh, that's my beautiful wife in the center. The guy on the right was my roommate who actually went on a date with her the year before. <laughs> all right, so he, uh, Nick, you're going to listen to this maybe sometime. Probably not, but this is what happened. Nick was like, hey, Corey, there's this really cute girl in my Old Testament class. And I was like, I bet there is. We're at GCU. And uh, he's, like, he's like, there's this girl named Crystal. Uh, like, I think I'm going to ask her out. I'm like, you should, you know? So they go on this hike. Uh, I come to find out the story later. We were arguing about this earlier, arguing about this earlier. Uh, so Nick was like, hey, Crystal, we're going on a group hike at Piesta Peak. Do you want to go? Crystal's like, sure, group hike. Ten minutes before, Nick's like, hey, by the way, it's just us. <laughs> and we argued to this day. We're like, was it a date? Was it not a date? And I was like, it was a date. It was just you guys. It was an unintentional date, but that was a date. So anyways, that night, I, like, I legitimately met my wife for the first time, like, I was, like, literally, like, I called my mom the next day. I'm like, Mom, I found, like, I found, like, I'm going to marry this girl. It was, I was beautiful. Okay, next picture. Thank you, Nick, for setting us up. Oh, yeah, Nick set us up. So, so he was like, hey, remember that girl? He, he, oh, yeah, 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 go back, go back, go back, go back, go back, go back. Go back. <laughs> Guys, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get good. This is a dating message. I didn't tell you that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, my gosh. Okay, stop. Hey, I told you. I told you. Here we go. Okay. So Nick, a year later, like, uh, he was like, hey, like, Crystal's pretty, like, amazing. Like, she came up and, like, said hi to us at a table. And he's like, I'm going to set up you and Crystal. And I was like, I'm not into it, but whatever if you want. And then Crystal, like, walked through the door. She made her, her hair was down. It was curled. And I was like, yes. Like, that's it. <laughs> so, all right. All right. There we go. So, okay. Wait, I'm going to tell you when. I'm going to tell you when. Okay. <laughs> so, had this amazing experience with this amazing, like, girl. I was like, oh, my gosh, Mom, I think I found the one. I was like, how the heck do I get a hold of her? We're at GCU. I don't know where she, I don't know anything. So I was like, I did the thing. I have this rule. I was like, I'm not going to, like, text somebody out on a date to me. I'm not judging. I'm like, that's lame. Like, if you want to ask somebody out, go up to them, look them in the eyes, ask them out, and then, like, don't, whatever. Anyways, not a dating message. <laughs> so, but I was like, I literally won't be able to see her unless I'm, like, around GCU, you know, like, trying to, like, so I was like, Nick, can I have her number? So I literally say, this is the first text I ever, this is me asking out my wife, okay? I made a little scrapbook, and this is like one of the pictures. Okay, second thing. Here's where we go. Hey, Crystal. Insert however voice you want. It's Corey from the Night Hike, obviously. You remember me. Got your number from Nick, your old date. I was planning on hiking the rockier side of Camelback tomorrow. No, I wasn't by myself. It was only to ask her out. <clears throat> Wanted to see if you would like to join. No worries if not. Smiley face. Now listen, I, I don't put smiley faces in. That's mixed messages. I put the smiley face, you know, right? Okay. People are like, geez, Corey, is this how they did this like six years ago? I don't know. It's how I did. All right. So, hey, Corey. Yes, text back. I don't think she texted back for like a day. You know that like day you're like, oh, okay. Hey, Corey. I'd really love to, but I'm covering a shift in the morning and, I'm, and going to a concert tomorrow night. But, so she could shut it down, but she gave me the other option. <clears throat> but I'm free all next weekend if that works for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, it does. Uh, okay. All right, next, next photo. Next photo. 
That's our first date. Okay. So literally. <laughs> see. All right. This is the, this is the part you were waiting for. All right. As you can see, I'm really boring and have one pose. I have one pose. Literally, I just stand there like this. Or I just okay. So you know, Crystal's got the personality, like thumbs up. Uh, like so, we like we. Well, like we, yeah, we hiked up. It was great. I remember like when we got down at the bottom, like somebody's like, hey, are, like, are you guys dating? I was like, no, we're just friends. But don't worry. But then I go to breakfast with her and I was like, hey, I think you're like, I love that you love Jesus. I think you're really pretty. I want to like go on some dates with you. That's how I started. Okay, next picture. <sighs> that's when I asked her out. Okay, so we like dated for a couple months. Uh, that's the night. I was like, hey, Crystal, I think the lighting would be really good right under this light. I was like, <laughs> so, so I got my like, Got my pink shirt on, which Chris, I, Crystal went to tell me that like there's all these colors I wore. She's like, you don't look good in. But I got my watch on. I got my fossil watch on, khaki pants. Uh, that was the night I asked Crystal out outside of Grimaldi's. Was it raining? It was raining. So even that much better. Uh, I, guys, I'm embarrassed about this. I asked her out in the car. I know. I made mistakes too. Uh, so I was like, in the car, I was like, hey, how romantic is it in my Camry right now? You know? I was like, I was like, will you be my girlfriend? And then I kissed her on the cheek. Big move, big move, big move. Okay. But yeah, I don't think I don't think I kissed you for like months after that. Maybe a couple months. I don't know. All right. Okay. So anyway, so this is like normal life. Like, yes, I had hair that was longer than half an inch at one point. Uh, so, like, we did some long distance, like, I was, like, so happy all the time, like, I, like, still squinting, trying to smile, <laughs> Crystal's still beautiful, you know, I remember we did long distance, and I was, like, oh, I was, like, I'm hating life, and then I would get frustrated with Crystal, because she's, like, thriving, and I was, like, hey, how come you don't miss me more, like, I'm, I'm, like, really, I miss you, she's, like, I miss you, but I don't, like, I'm, not, I'm not okay, like, like what's, I was like, I was like offended. We had arguments. I'm like, why don't you miss me as much as I'm, you know, all that silly stuff that you do in dating. That's so real. And I felt it, whatever. Okay, next. <sighs> then I convinced her that, that it would be worth marrying me forever. I was like, literally, it's the best you're going to find. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Uh, I was so happy. So, so, okay, check this out. So Crystal went on that night hike at Piestoa Peak with Nick. Didn't work. She took, went out on a date with another guy on the same hike. So I was like, well, I got to do that hike too. Third time's a charm. She says yes to me. Uh, I go to that same hike. I propose the same picture that we took our first picture. That's where I proposed. I know. Okay. Well, there we go. Uh, so yeah, we got engaged. And then guess what? On June 3rd, 2018, Crystal became my bride. And that's, and that's, that's my bride. <clears throat> Let's pray. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. I was like, I'm just going to end the sermon now. Crystal became my bride on that day. We have this beautiful story. Like, she is like, I'm imperfect. She's imperfect. We, we fight sometimes. We've had our issues. We're not on the same page a lot, mainly because of me but we're like working. I love her. And listen, above all the problems, all the stuff, at the end of the day, she's my bride. Here's one of the things I want to say. When I talk to young adults a lot, one of the things that I get is like, I love Jesus, hate his people. Hey, like I love Jesus. I'm all about Jesus, but like I'm just not going to get involved with the church. Like I'm just going to go do podcasts and like I'm just not interested in the church. And I just want to say, like, in, in, in my marriage, if you were like, hey, Corey, like, super into you. Like, I'm, like, all about you. But can you just, like, leave your wife at home? 
hey, uh, Corey, it's like, I just don't click with your wife. I don't really understand her. So I'm not really interested in her. Like, can you just, I'm not, like, I just want to hang out with you. I'm just telling you, in my marriage, if I heard that, I would be deeply hurt. I would be offended. I'd be like, hey, she's not perfect, but like, at the end of the day, she's my bride. And here's the thing. You don't get me without my bride. And I think one of the things, listen, we're going to talk about church hurt next week. At the end of the day, when you go, hey, Jesus, I'm into you, but like, I'm like half in on your church. I think there's something that's slightly offensive about that to him, where he goes, listen, they've hurt me too. Um, my church has let me down. Jesus has church hurt, believe it or not. Like the church has let him down. His bride has hurt him. But at the end of the day, it's his bride. And you don't get Jesus without his bride. So here's what I want to end. Is your heart for the bride of Christ the same as Jesus' heart for the bride of Christ? Or are you as committed to the bride of Christ as Jesus is? And are you willing to work towards that? Now, I know you go, hey, Corey, but I've experienced some really messed up things. The church has really let me down, and I don't get it. I get this. That's beautiful, but that's not my experience. What do I do? Come back next week. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Uh, We're so thankful for today. Uh, God, we are thankful that you have invited us into a beautiful family, um, a beautiful body. God, we thank you, Lord, that we are the bride of Christ. Lord, that you lay down your life for us, God. Not just me, but us. Not just them, but me. God, we are all together your bride. Jesus, thank you that you uh, are perfecting us, that you are making us holy and set apart for your use in the world, Lord. Thank you that we get to partner with you in your seeking of the lost. And Jesus, I pray that as we move into this series, God, that you'd bring healing to our hearts where we need healing. And God, I pray that you would call us to further faithfulness and further love And God, I pray that we really, really would be the family of Christ together. Lord, we love you. And I pray this in your name. Amen.